Good morning, everyone. Hello. Um, you're listening to the Perthian Chronicles, uh, a podcast which is trying to aim at chronicling all the artists of Perth, Everyone. West, Western Australia, not Scotland, no. Western Australia, Western Australia, and their practice. So, just to give you a tiny bit of a spiel, basically, these first few episodes of the podcast are going to be a bit they, look. They're going to be rough as guts, to be quite honest. It's, it's, it's a teething stage, you know. We got to learn. Gotta yeah, got to learn. But the the big aim of the podcast is going to be in ten years' time, in the year twenty twenty seven. Sorry, I'll, what were you? <laughs> I'll be trying to track all my guests down in 10 years' time and see how they are then with their artistic practice in 10 years' time. I hope that made sense. It made perfect sense. Cool. <laughs> yeah, so my first, my first ever guest or author... Fuck you. <laughs> he knows how to press my buttons. My first guest... Took away the timer because he kept on looking at it. Don't worry. That's um, something you can look at the end. All right. My first guest is a local hero. No. Um, his name is uh, Sam Stockwell. He's acted, he's written, he's directed, he's dramaturged. He's sung a bit. You, you might know him from his work uh, with the band Boykey. <coughs> although I personally know him uh, as his stint as the Tin Man, <laughs> um, which I'd like to cover because that was a, a wonderful indie season of uh, music, the Tin Man. How I know Sam is because we both graduated together. We met mm-hmm. way back in 2014 at the Western Australian Academy of Performing Arts. Different world. Doing the Bachelor of Performing Arts performance. Hi, Fran. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Fran is our course coordinator, the she... lovely and uh, impeccable Frances Bob. Shout out to her. And oh, you can't shout out her without shouting out Tamara Cook. So Tamara Cook. Um, Lizita Feder... Faraday. 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 Angela Punch McGregor. They're all great. Fantastic. James Billin. We've yeah. had we did have him for a semester and that was amazing. Yeah. I was telling Sam before that I'm really in I'm trying to see that there's nothing in Perth to have uh, well there is like um what's that local radio station? RTR. RTR. They do they do a fantastic job at interviewing local artists, <coughs> plugging their stuff. And I think that's great. And I think we need more. Because as we know, yeah. We're a growing, you know, infrastructure, people. infrastructure, people, and I think that this, you know, there should be more, more advertisement on, on the arts, more promotion. Agreed. Yeah, so I'm doing my little bit. I'm putting my little flag of, of podcastness. I'm, I don't know. I've lost the metaphor. No, no. I, I yeah, hundred percent. And I, I'm glad you're doing it. I think it's a good thing for you. I think it's a. I think you're going to do it very well. I think you have the correct demeanor and temperament to bring out the best in people. Um, so I think it is going to be a fruitful experience for all. I don't like in autobiographies how they go on about like big stars or you know sportsmen, actors, whatever. They go about their childhood, like like all humans. I think we just want the dirt, we want the filth, we want the gossip. We just want to get, get to the bit when you you know you're blowing, you know this and that and taking copious amounts of drugs. We just want that. But I'm curious. Sam, because when did you start playing music? And music in the sense of, you know, the Tin Man, when you're going to pubs, when you're going to gigs. When did I start playing guitar in general, or when did I start gigging? Ah, guitar. Well, this is an interesting um, fable. I uh, told my parents I wanted to learn guitar when I was like 10 or something, I think. 
and when we actually went into the store to buy the guitar, I changed my mind and said, I started pointing at the saxophone. And I told them I liked that instead, and if we could possibly think about that. And my dad was just like, ah, no, you change your mind too much. This is, just stick with your original decision. And so he ended up just getting me this like really um, small, uh, like classical kind of thing. And I never picked it up. Like I think I had like three lessons and I just didn't do it at all. Cause by that point my mind was like, oh, saxophone, shiny. Um, <laughs> so I ended up starting that when I was like, yeah, like a few years later, probably when I was like year six or something, um, like 11, 12. Uh, and uh, I played saxophone all the way throughout like high school when I was in the jazz band and that kind of thing. And I, kind of lost interest in saxophone I think very quickly but I just didn't admit it to myself because um, I occasionally would like you know go into my parents bedroom and like pull down the really small guitar when I was like 14 or something and I'd play a little bit and I'd just be like this is cool but I like wouldn't really pursue it any further than that but then uh, around the time when I was probably 17 I'd say um, in year 12 at Christchurch I just found myself getting more into it and I think the probable main reasons for it is that I have uh, quite close friends that are very musical that I grew up with uh, from quintillion my primary school and a little bit into high school as well um, you would know him and Andreas Feifel he mm. is someone that I've yeah. grown up with and he is just probably the best piano player I've ever seen in my life um, especially for our age group and he has always been a very musical in that sense. And I have another friend, George Mercer, who was very similar in that way, but he started teaching himself guitar um, in uh, high school. And uh, he started, you know, learning all these covers and I just thought it was really cool. And this was like when I was, you know, around 16, 17. And I think that was probably the tipping point that really um, made me consider giving it a go. That and also I had recently learned that girls like guys who play um, guitar. Oh, yes. So yeah. apparently that was true. And I was like, oh, that's, you know, pretty good. No, why not? So, I remember the first song I tried to start playing was Pete Murray. Pete um, Murray. Yeah, Pete Murray. So beautiful. Uh, it's a good tune. Um, an opportunity. I like that one. Um, da -da -da, another lonely day. Da -da -da. Don't know a single bar. It's really nice. It's a good one. Um, yeah. And uh, then, yeah, so I started teaching myself guitar just by um, looking on tabs on the internet just learning different tunes that I liked um, listening to and uh, within about a year I was really shit but a lot better mm. than I was you know um, before that point and uh, then after I graduated high school and I started uni for some reason a part of me made me start a SoundCloud account and be like why can't I write which is really interesting because it is that SoundCloud like people please google SoundCloud boy key no nah, it's I changed it this oh, is the, this no, is the, no, old, this the old one that's um, yeah because I made a new, when I started Boyke, I made a new SoundCloud account. This is the old one. This is spanning back like three or four years. Um, but it was interesting because I remember that you yeah. were telling me how, like when we first met, like you, you like listen to his like old stuff if you can. Mm. Can we listen to the, yeah, is that the yeah. Tin Man? Yeah, I'm, I'm, no, it, it's the actual, the SoundCloud name for it is Stop Froth. Stop Froth. It's okay. like, it's like, it's like Stop Froth, but just move around the, the R. <laughs> Stop Froth. Like go back and I remember how you, like... Like, the quality of the stuff is pretty great, and you're recording it with a, a, a guitar, guitar hero microphone. 
you have a, and you had your guitar like was there any like no just one microphone and this that's it, it well that's that was the, that was actually the turning point when i decided to start recording stuff or because before that i just started you know writing a little bit you know i found it really fun you know it was just something that um i always enjoyed creative writing but it was never something you know it was something i literally just stumbled across you know and it, it turned into a fiery passion like later on in my life but it started off very much as me just being like this is cool do you find because i sorry sorry we're going to interweave but that's mm-hmm. the nature of this first yeah. episode <laughs> when we find our feet but yeah. I was watching this wonderful interview with um, the actor John Noble. Yeah. Now he did; he's done a few American shows, Fringe, but he's known for um, his role on *The Lord of the Rings: The Return of the King*. He played Denethor, but he's this Australian actor, very old, late fifties, and he's talking at the Sydney Centre of Acting or some some school like that. Mm-hmm. YouTube him, and he was talking about how how important it is for practicing. You need to keep practicing, and he was saying because. He taught, I'm not sure if he taught at NIDA, but he said, look, I was teaching at NIDA or some school, and I was saying how now we can record our own stuff, we can publish our own stuff online mm-hmm. on the internet. Millions of people mm-hmm. pot- potentially mm-hmm. can see the work. And he was saying how he got like a few of his students, you know, they started a little club, making their own work, doing scenes, acting, recording yeah. it. Just keep doing that. Do you feel like you are born in the right area? You, like era of the internet pub self-publishing do you think you would be a musician now or like say if you're born in the 50s do you, do you know that's a I really mean? interesting question um i are you saying do you think i would have been or are you saying um would or do are you saying that i'm am, am i happy to be living in this era well you kind of both like because i'd imagine i'm just making the guess like obviously we do not have like back then in like say 1955 mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there was no internet mm-hmm TV was starting to cut. Not mm-hmm. well, not in Australia technically, but you know there was there yeah. wasn't. <clears throat> I think I think it's an interesting question. Put it this way: I feel like I am. I wouldn't be who I am today if I hadn't watched the amount of YouTube videos that I've watched. I know that might be a strange thing to say, but I really feel that way. I mean, I, f- I find that in the last, I've grown a, oh, an amazing amount in the last four years, and I feel like that I wouldn't have got there without the people that I have met along the way and that that I've, that I've learned from. And that goes for real people, real people. It goes for people that I've met in my life, and it also goes for people I've watched on a screen, you know? And I feel like we're very lucky that we get to live into a time where human knowledge is so, or at least, you know, more accessible than um, it was in the past. I I have no idea what I'd fucking be in the 50s, you know what I mean? Like, Mm. if I was born in my my, my parents' and my grandparents' era, I could have been a plumber, you know what I mean? I could could have been... um, Sparky, I could have been anything. I could have been a farmer. You know, I have no idea what I would have been because I would have just had different experiences and met different people. But am I glad to be living in this era? Fucking A. Like, holy shit. We are in, we are the luckiest people, at least in recent memory, to have walked this earth. Holy shit. Well, the world has never been better. When you think about just a year, and I, when you think about just a hundred years ago, man, people just killed each other for no reason. I mean, even more so the more centuries you go back. The amount of peace that we have across the globe, I know it's difficult to remember, you know, because everyone thinks that, you know, we live in the worst time in the world, and that's just ludicrous. It's just absolutely ludicrous. You know, there's so much fear-mongering going on in every country these days, or at least most countries. People think the world is a dangerous, dangerous place, but actually it's one of the best times that we've ever had an opportunity to live in this world. Obviously, certain countries are better than others, but, you know, I feel like if we give it time, that'll change. And we're moving into a couple of decades now where things are going to change substantially for the better, I hope. And it's possible that it could be our extinction as well. But I feel like that. I feel like that we. It is also a chance for our immortality. 
Um, and I mean that on a very literal standpoint because of the shit that's going on right now with information technology and AI and computing. We are living in the most exciting time for any humans on this planet. And I'm very grateful that I get to be a part of it. Do you know what was scary? Talking about this technology and the internet. Mm. You know what really scared me the other day? Last week I was with my dad and, um, you know, it's Friday night and we're... We're having a you know, Friday night. Uh, it's that association when it's Friday night dinner time. So it's takeaway day. Uh, takeaway. <laughs> day. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, you have fish sure. and chips. Yeah. Or... Fish and chips. Yeah. So I was getting a kebab, right? Yeah. And it. me and my dad were waiting outside in in my car. And for some weird reason, my phone. I didn't. I didn't have my my phone was charging at home. My mobile phone. And you know, I, I have a smartphone. You know, the iPhone four. Blah blah blah. Only in the last year, though. How old are you again? <laughs> 22. 22. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I, I, like, and I was with my dad Never and changed. I didn't have my phone and I was just, you know, talking with him, being with him, you know, to kill some time. Mm-hmm. But dad's like, I'll just wait at the bloody kebab shop. You know, it's been 20 minutes. It should be done. The kebab. Mm. I was like, okay, fair enough. So I go to the kebab shop and it's not done. <clears throat> I think it's like another 10 minutes before it's done. Mm, but I'm yeah. sitting there. It's a half an hour kebab. Yeah, half an hour kebab. But I'm sitting there waiting, and I'm thinking, like, the, like I'm, I'm craving, like you know, with the marble, you can to be busy. Like I have this, I'm not mm-hmm. sure if I'm addicted, but I have this sort of hunger mm. to always be stimulated. Do you understand? Hundred percent, dude. That's like it's really, that's a really thoughtful way of articulating it because you've done it in a way that I haven't heard before. But it makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's just the world we live in. We also put it this way: even though we're very lucky, we're also fucked people because of the generation that have come before us. And also because of our environment. Simon Sinek talks a lot about this. And I'll, bet you, I'll show you his book that I just, um, yeah. that I just, that I just read. Um, it's called Together is Better. Together it's, is better. it's really, really good. And it is, he wanted to make this experience where you couldn't get online. And it, it's essentially this graphic novel that is accompanied by his words. And um, it's also centered with the scent of optimism. And basically he, um, is a uh, psychologist and um, a public speaker and he is wonderful i really recommend googling his talks um leaders eat last start with why goes on he's a very intelligent man and what he basically uh, you might have actually seen his um video going around about millennials mm. he's got glasses um it was Hang very on, is he american yeah Oh, I know. You've yeah. seen it. You've yes. seen it. Yeah, no. you've seen it. It, it had was... like 64 million views or something on it, Facebook. It was it... talking about the millennial question yes. and how and how our generation's fucked for like our environment, for um, in his word, well, apparently people's other people's words other than him failed parenting strategies and things like baby boomers, like what baby boomers what yeah. they what they did fucking to the world. Um, but he talks about instant gratification. How we are the generation that has been brought up with instant gratification. How if we want anything, we can have it straight away. Uh-huh. And we've been brought up to believe that if we want it, we can have it straight away. And then we get out into the world and we realize that we can't have everything just because we want it. And immediately, our self-image is shattered. And we just don't know what to fucking do with ourselves. So, so immediately you've got a gener- an, gener- an entire generation growing up with a lower self-esteem than the generations who have come before it. How crazy is that? And when you think about, if you want a book on Amazon, fucking, it's, in, it's there within a week, unless you live in another country. In which case, if you live in the same country, it's there in a couple of days. Um, if you want to watch a movie, boy, oh, just go on Netflix or stream it. You don't even have to wait weeks anymore. You can, no. you can binge. Do you feel like, see... Uber Eats, want fucking food? Deliver it to you in 10 minutes. Same. 
Yummy, yummy. Yummy, yummy. <laughs> Like, doesn't that, so that really... Look, as you know, I, I'm a bit old-fashioned. Oh, that is, <laughs> that's a fucking understatement if I ever um, heard one. But, yeah, dangerous time, I, I think. I know, see, I feel like it's a double-edged sword, sword because one, for instance, technology has granted me to record my own pub... My, my, I can broadcast radio. You know, we're, 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 we're doing it. We can, and like you, you can publish music, you can pu- publish your own scripts, for goodness sake. You can definitely act on, you can publish yourself on YouTube, Dailymotion, Vimeo. It's actually really interesting what you just said. I, I, we don't really have a platform at the moment for publishing scripts, do we? I mean, there is, I know oh. there is some, but no, but I mean like oh. in, a, in a sense where there's like, it's like a hub for like different stories that can be uploaded. Like, it, like you can have like a whole database of scripts and people can be like, oh, what's new scripts that have been uploaded today? And you can just read them and then certain scripts could get a certain amount of backers and then when they've got a certain amount of backers, people could like get involved and try and make it into like a film or something. That sounds like a cool idea that I just thought of in that second. Very good. <laughs> very, very good. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just... By the way... Look, this podcast has. I love this microphone, (laughs) and I'm just checking the input level. I've never seen you look at something with such intent, but uh, (laughs) I just love my. I just see. God, tech. Oh God, we're talking a lot about technology. Mm -hmm. We're infected. We are. We are. But I think that it is also the next natural step of. This is actually really interesting, right? Mm. Um, Do you know a man named Elon Musk? No. Okay, well, he's the man who's taking us to Mars. Right. He's the guy that's going to, um, is, is widespreading the electrical car. Um, uh, Tesla. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's the guy who, uh, as I said, is basically has built a better, a better um, NASA than NASA. Okay. <laughs> a, more, a more successful NASA than NASA. Yeah. Um, he is also the biggest distributor of solar panels, I think, in the world um, with SolarCity. And okay, he I'll, is I'll basically... I think he, in his early twenties, he may he co-founded PayPal and he sold it to oh. and um, he sold it to eBay for like I don't know like billions of dollars. But his his portion, I think, was in like the hundred millions, and he used that to invest in Tesla and um, SpaceX, which is the the, the NASA um, or the the rocket company. And he just recently, we're talking. He's done this like this stuff has been building for decades, right? But recently, he just they just um, completed. He's made. They've made a reusable rocket. A route that? Yes. Which cuts the cost of space travel by a factor of like a hundred or something like that. And that's why he's so pragmatic and like just like so forward thinking because he thinks about how things, how affordable things are, and how widespread things can be. Um, he has also started the non-for-profit organization OpenAI, who which uh, which leads to make you know the democratization of AI and um, technology for the future. Oh God, I hate artificial intelligence. Is that really? You get, say I'm, that, man, I'm, but that's like artificial. You have it in your phone. Yeah, I. You I have it in know. your car. You have it in everything. This is what I was leading onto, and I'm glad you said that. We are already cyborgs. We have a we have a third tertiary layer that is the internet. Think about all your emails, your Facebook, your. Yeah. Everything that you I, have uh, online, yeah, I, we're yeah. already all cyborgs. We had human, we have superhuman abilities that weren't accessible to the president of the United States twenty years ago. Wow. Okay. Think about that. And uh, fifty years ago, we have more power in our pocket than an MIT student that was at that was um you know at the top of his year. Yeah. You know, and that's just the nature of the the world we live in, with Moore's law, etc. But 
when you think about that, we're just going on the evolutionary train. Like it's, we're, it's a scary. It's train, a scary though. train. It's, it's a very such a sca- scary. It's a very train. scary train, and there's a lot of there's a lot of road bumps on it, and there's a lot of um, there's a lot of possibilities to veer off the cliff. That's for sure. Sorry, I'm just. Yeah, I'm not it's, having a lot, a, it's a lot to complicate. I'm, not, I'm, I'm having not, a bit of an ex- existential crisis stroke. right now. Yeah. No, that's that's okay. It's been me the last six months. It's good. But see. No, sorry, sorry, listeners. Um, as 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 we look, can we first say that we are doing this podcast shirtless? <laughs> it is. We're both shirtless. We're both shirtless. It is yeah. hot. It's very hot. It's very hot in Perth. It's and it's what's the date? It's the third of second third, of March. Second of March. Second of March. We're in autumn, although we shouldn't we shouldn't follow the European calendar, but it's 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 like <laughs> Singapore. We're sweating. <laughs> I'm sorry about the creaking of the chair. Like, my chair's really creaking because all my all sweat... All the chairs in this house creak. Like we have no, like, new chairs. <laughs> They're all at least 20 years old. Oh, but that's not bad. It's just my back's kind of sticking to the yeah, wood. Yeah, so is mine. It's all right. <laughs> oh, it's good. But, um, we'll... we'll so, hey, we're, we're, it's not like we're dying. We'll soldier on. Yeah, we're okay. <laughs> so we're all right. We'll, we'll soldier on for you guys. The I, I don't want to make like such a gear change, but no, this is it. very this do is it. very relevant. We got uh, you, mate. One thing about talking to me is that I can go down a rabbit hole in an instant. So you got to you got to reel me back in. That's what that's what your job is. <laughs> you got to can't let me go off the cliff. I was watching like a, last year. I was watching this documentary because Channel Nine. Interestingly, Channel Nine did a series of documentaries in Perth about uh, I think local industries. Mm. I can't I can't remember what the name is. Um, and I really hate, you know, shows like they reference something, but they don't give you the right reference. And then you're <laughs> it's okay. So well, yes, anyway, and it was talking about really interesting about Perth pub, um, Perth's bands in the eighties, the pub scene, and apparently it was really booming, booming so much that you can make a very decent living in Perth in the nineteen eighties, Western Australia, I should say, really? in the nineteen eighties, doing the pub circuit. It's like a full time get a like a really decent like a buy house. Well, I imagine there would have been a lot more venues back then. And at I, least, and I just comparison want to, to people. I, I want to take, and I don't want to gossip or anything, but I don't want to restrict you. I just want to take the temperature, the thermometer, because you, you're into music. You, you, you're. I feel like you're in the heart. Well, not in the heart, but you know, you you know of the local music industry here in Perth. To an extent, yeah, sure. If I ask you, Sam, if I say, Sam, for 10 years, do you think, just, just practice music, mate, in WA. Just, just practice music. Pursue that professionally. Do, do you think you could make a living? Yes. You think you could? Yeah, I think so. I think it'd be really difficult. Um, and I think it'd take a bit of time, especially in Perth, but I think eventually we'd get there. Yeah. Because I know that there's a lot of good venues, like there's The Bird, there's... A lot more that have been closed down. What, what was that? <laughs> a, lot, a lot more that have been closed down. Yeah? Yeah. What's closed down recently? Oh, the the bakery. Yeah, man, the bakery, That's Yaya's, um, and hopefully not too much more in the future. But I just imagine, you know, a lot of places that we don't even know about today that used to be around in the eighties and nineties that used mm. to be, you know, booming. What's your favourite venue to perform in WA? That I have performed at, or that I'd like yeah, that to perform I, that, at? that you've had so far. Because I, I, I want to say Jack is it Jack Slims? Jack Rabbit Slims. Jack Rabbit Slims, because yeah. it's a beer too. Jack Rabbit, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's a nice. Um, I think it's that beer, but anyway, it might be another beer. Um, Makes sense. I think 
I love Jack Rabbit Slims. I love it. I think it's a really good. I think they've done a very good job in kind of boosting just the um, the music culture in Perth. I think they've done a really good job. But Pile Rats and Metric are, have always been pretty good at helping guide Perth a little bit, you know, in some good directions. So I think they'll continue to do that. I just think that we need more people like that. Mm. We just need more more venues like that, you know. And I mean, this is the difference, you know. I don't want to um, compare it to really any other cities, but I mean, mm. I recently visited. Melbourne for two weeks. I think they're both wonderful cities and I think they're both good for different things, but just a really easy example is just that, you know, I can walk out, if I'm in like the right area, then I can walk out into this, like the street every day of the week, every mm-hmm. night of the week and there's something on, you know, and I can just walk in somewhere and there'll be someone playing music. You can't do that for, it's just, it's just not the same reality. Yeah. Like, I mean, you, not to say that the quality is any less, but the sheer number of opportunities and the sheer number of people doing it is just crazy you know and i i love listening to music i love going to watch music and if i can do that more in melbourne you know then why wouldn't i does music help you write music you mean like listening to it yeah like i was i had this question and i don't know if you're like this doesn't we don't have to talk about your music or anything but it's like when you're writing because i noticed i did read your article because you also also sam is a a writer for avon not avon water Avon Water. <laughs> Sorry, Avon Water. Sorry, yeah. no disrespect. <laughs> I read, and I was reading your article, you interviewed that I... El Fresh the Line. El Fresh yeah. the Line. And I know him, believe it or not, the reason why I know what? him... How do you know, know El Fresh the no, Line? No, I don't know him personally. I know of him. <laughs> okay, alright. So, I, I know of him because, because he was a part, correct me if I'm wrong, but he was a part of a music video that was published on... I think one of the most controversial days of Australia, yeah. Australia Day. That makes sense. Um, yeah. And he's a part with with with, Aus- with with fellow Australians and with and in particular mm. our Indigenous people. Yeah. You know, so Invasion Day. It was a music about, about yeah. like how Australia Day is Invasion Day, and I don't want to get too political because we we can hold, we can talk about that whole entire behemoth, mm-hmm. and I, I don't think I have the. Yeah. Not quite. <laughs> I think yes. it's going to go downhill. Of you are. Um, I'm a, in terms of that, what is... Uh, ah, the smoking gun. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, I think, like, that was a really big, like, this, I felt like this Australia Day. No, like, I, it's, it's I, weird because... I, I agree with a lot of the things that he's saying. I mean, he's, oh, yes, he's oh, been, yes, I do he's agree. Been very, yes. He's been very vocal with how he, what he thinks of our government, what he thinks of... Um, the leaders of our country, you know? The leaders of our, the last couple of generations and what they've done. And I think the only real headway we've made, or at least that I've seen, I mean, I'm not exactly the most knowledgeable person about this subject, but when Kevin Rudd re- issued an apology yeah. to the Stone generation, I thought that was probably the most honest I'd ever seen our government. I mean, and I, and I, and I, and I say this as someone who used to say openly that Kevin Rudd had a face that I would like to punch in the face. And uh, I'm not sure why. But for some reason, some people just have that look. But they, I don't know. And I used to think that. I really mm. did. But um, it's strange how a mind can play tricks on us. I mean, that was me in high school, you know what I mean? But yeah. um, I'm older now, and I like to think I have a little more sense. And I don't think the... It's very difficult, I think, for um, people, let alone governments, to take responsibility and look forward. And I think what he did was very nice. And I think that people can learn from him. And I think that we can do a lot more to help. And I think that changing a day is something so trivial that I really think it should have been done a long time ago I mean what, what, what do we fucking care you know what I mean it, it, it'll, it should probably it, it'd probably have the same problem if we gave it to I mean because I feel like when you attribute a date 
to something like that. It just doesn't feel right to me. I mean, it, I, I, I almost feel like a better solution would be giving it like a, a vague period of time. Like for instance, like Father's Day. You know how that's like the first yeah. Sunday of every like so of September, something like that. You know, maybe like maybe the um, the last Sunday of January, or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, and I don't think, and I think symbolically, well, wrong the date. Like, I, I don't know. I would like to disclaim. I do not know all the facts and figures in the history really barely, behind it. Really, um, but I think symbolically, yeah, it's it's one. It's a good. But it's it's, it's a good but, faith but, gesture, but you, right? I think people could understand like. Like, this is what I've come to thinking, because, you know, I have these thoughts, and I call you late at night and say, Sam, I've got another one. And you go, good, right? And then you let it play on, and then you go to sleep, and then I'll go, Sam, Sam. Where are you? Where are you? Um, I really think that symbolically, yeah, it doesn't... Because one, Captain Cook, okay. It's it's basically, that Australia Day is to... Rep, it symbolises, it talks about how Captain Cook, a representative of, I think it... Almost, I don't know. The British Empire came to Australia, and he claimed that um, New South Wales. He landed. I, I don't know. Botany I'm not Bay. exactly the biggest um uh, thing, but no, I'm not exactly the biggest um uh, knowledge. No, what the hell am I trying to say? Um, historian. I don't. I, historian. Yes, very good. I, I I'm not exactly the biggest historian on um uh, particularly Australian history. History has been something that I've been getting more into lately, but Australian history is something that I haven't got to yet. But I imagine. I will, I will definitely get there. And I, which is so interesting, you know? Why wouldn't it be the first? If I'm from this fucking country, why is it the last place that I bloody learn about? Why is America so fucking alluring with its horrible, horrible, amazing, America. incredible history? America. Yeah. Well, I was saying, like, like, like Captain Cook, obviously, Australia wasn't invented back then. Captain Cook, I think, to be very stupid, I think Captain Cook, you know, was just doing his job. An explorer saw this nice piece of land... A lot of people were this, just this, doing their job yeah, in, the, in the past. Just, just doing their job. Yeah. You know, it, it was it's just claiming land for the, the, the British Empire, you know, territory. It's the yada, chain yada. of the command. It's, it's just orders. Well, and, it's and, just orders. But we've got to remember, it's not human like, decision. Australia didn't it's exist just... then. It didn't exist in a hundred years. To, like, I really like this idea, like, Australia really exists. Like, you know, we should celebrate Australia Day on Federation Day, 1901, when Australia became the Federation of Australia. We but even became... then, people could argue that it has some, um, you know, injustice. Oh to no, the absolutely. From the, the first people, but in the it country, was a you know? slow. I felt like then was a slow, slowly we were starting to walk, and we became the sort of like European Union esque. Because Australia, we've got to understand, Australia is many countries. It's a continent with our with our indigenous people. Our I like to think indigenous ancestors. I'm not. I'm not claiming to be. I don't have any um, indigenous heritage. Not more, more for you, Sam. Not, not that I know of, no. And I, d- I don't want to discuss because I have no right. But I think it's something... I think you should really... You know, the Federation, like, we try... I think we try our best to be... But we're a country of many people. We're a country of many countries. I feel like that's Australia. We're a country of many countries. Mm-hmm. And I think Australia, it should be changed. Because, look, if we, can't, if we can't be accommodating to our... our, our our metaphorical ancestors. Who can we be accommodating to? Who can we be accommodating to? <laughs> it just true. doesn't. Yeah. It, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. It, it so really, let's change the day. Bugger it, it. It makes it makes very little sense. I agree. I I, I think that um, I think that we should. It's just a good faith gesture, you know. It's something so small, and something like that. I mean, that's what Elfresh basically went on to say. He he said that it is the very least we can do. It is the first step. 
the first step in a very long that, discussion yeah. and process that should have been started a long time ago. Um, ago. The real trouble, the real complicated shit starts after that. Hmm. Relinquishing power and land and um, admitting that the people who came before us had no clue, which is not easy. Definitely not easy. And I feel like, because this is what I like... See, I've got a terrible, terrible memory for names. Some names I can remember, some names I can't. There was this, um, there was this, I think it was about the row eight. You know about the, the row eight, the, the construction, that whole... Not indefinite. You know, of like, they're going to demolish, they're going to demolish houses, native land, uh, land you know, um, yeah. um, parks, forests, not forests, but you know, the, yeah, you know yeah, yeah. that animals, endangered animals <laughs> live in, you yeah, know, a conservation totally. area. Yeah. And there's, there were... There was, there was this march of all these um, leaders of various communities, um, religious, um, indigenous, and there's this indigenous elder, and I can't remember his name, but he was saying about the importance of like and how in indigenous culture, art is. It's a way, and I think, and I, I can't, and I don't want to paraphrase him, but I think it is so important. Like I feel like in European, well, not in all European, but I think Anglo, well, I don't want to step on in times, but I feel like. Art in Australia does not play a big enough role. Do you, do you, do you feel like... I think it... I think oh, not, not a big enough role. It needs to be more more promotion, hence why I'm doing this podcast. I feel like there needs to be... I agree, and I feel like that's not only in Australia. I feel like that is in the entire world. I feel mm. like there are very few countries that actually give art enough credibility or put it on enough of a pedestal that it should be. Because, I mean, this is just my opinion, but if you think about our ancestors' ancestors... Storytelling has always been around. Been around for since humans can have been around, really. I mean, I think it was the first kind of. It's a way of passing down knowledge. It's a way of teaching. Art can also be a way of, you know, education. And back then, I don't think the two were necessarily segregated. I think they were kind of a conjoined thing. But how funny is it that in our day and age, education has been become something very different. Education has been become something about turning people into autonomous sacks of flesh that just sit down and don't think about the world. I mean, that might be harsh, but I mean, I'm, I'm you know, I'm going into heavy territory now. Yeah. But I mean, I really do think that our education system is baloney, and I think that it came about with the industrial revolution, trying to get you know a lot of people basic maths and science. You know, basic maths and science, basic. I think it just stopped teaching people how to think. It stopped teaching people how to really think about the world and about. Um, we started categorizing and boxing everything, and in a way, it helped us. You know, I think it was necessary for the time that we were going through. But I think that we got so caught up in it that we've actually forgot how to do anything else. And in the time, as I said before, with Elon Musk and AI and robots that are coming to take our jobs, this is a very real problem. What happens when AI becomes so advanced that ninety percent of tradies no longer have a job? Even doctors, man. Yeah, you know, even it's not even low paid. It's like like not necessarily low paid, but like blue collar workers that are going to be out in the mud. It's going to be a lot of different communities having a living or like doing your job. How you define yourself as a human is going to change, mm. and that's something like it's really interesting. Like you think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Mm. You know, yeah, it should be up the top from the bottom down, but it's always from the bottom up. And essentially, what is going on is that technology is going to take care of our bottom needs for us. We're going to live in abundance in a world where we only have to worry about what we want to do. Imagine a world where everyone can pursue the arts and everyone wants to think about the problems we can accomplish if AI are building all the buildings and AI are, you know, solving all the super hairy problems in the world. It almost becomes a, um, it's a very strange conversation to have, but it really does um, 
It's an, it's an interesting what if. The, the biggest, yeah. It's, well, it's not even about what if. It's not. A, it's not a what well, if. It's, it's uh, literally. It's literally when. It's like, and that's a different thing to like think about. I mean, imagine what happens when we have a eighty percent unemployment rate. What happens when that when that becomes a thing? A lot of people have um, introduced the um, possibility of a, a universal income, a unsubstantiated income that basically has no strings attached. That is, yeah, everyone gets it always for a certain, you know, in a certain periodic kind of chain. And when you start thinking about problems like that, it's just like, holy shit, can you imagine all the stuff that we would get done? How much further we would... It was really, it's really interesting to think about. And I, this is something that I only really started considering a couple of, like a year ago or something, because I, um, I watched the film The Babadook. I'm not sure if you've seen it. It's a wonderful Australian um, thriller. It's a bit of a more recent um, horror. And the, the whole film is based around one giant metaphor, and I fucking loved it. I loved it so much. Um, but I put up a little post, and I was like, yeah, this is a sick film. You should all go watch it. And Babadook. Yeah, the Babadook. I really recommend it. The Babadook. It. The Babadook. I'm going to watch this. As, I thought I'm going to watch it. As it sounds, B-A-B-A-D-O-K, um, I think. Double O-K. Um, but yeah, and essentially, the the, I got a message from my friend, uh, Aiden Asquith, and he was... Um, he was. He told me like he was just basically thanking me for recommending it. Oh really? And uh, yeah, and because he he loved it, and it, he just thought it was great. And then I started you know referencing all these things like yeah I know I loved fucking you know metaphor with the kid and like you know all these things and he was just like what do you mean? And I was just like oh well you know this this and this and yeah. he was just like oh yeah I didn't really think about that and it. What you, and then he asked me to go into more detail, and I was just like, Aiden, you're such a smart dude. You know what I mean? Like, I don't have to explain. To me, this is something that is <laughs> yeah. just so simple. Like, that is just so incredibly obvious. That is just, like, so in touching and incre- and lovely. And it, he just, he come on right over his head. And this is a dude that is so clever. Like, Aiden is a very smart guy. Like, he and I respect him a lot. But he was saying that, basically, his degree taught him black and white. Far out. That's what he said, man. His degree taught him black and white. And then once I described it all to him, it was just like, oh, yeah, that's awesome. Like, you know, that's really cool. And it just hadn't something that it wasn't something that was on his train of thought. And it really got me thinking, like, we are so lucky, man. Our course. We are are so fucking lucky. And and I think anyone is that has a that has the kind of teachers Like I was trying to remember. There's some TED talk that I watched recently that um, was talking about how the education system needs to change. Mm. And it, it has a lot to do with um, institutions thinking, you know, people, you know, considering them as numbers rather than humans and not allowing them the correct environment to fail or to try new things or to develop their own motivations and aspirations. And I think, in a, I think we got a very um, lucky look into what the education system might look like, you know, in a couple of decades' time. And I think it's just very funny the way we view kind of art uh, degrees these days, you know, there's all these jokes about, you know, never getting a job. Hmm. And what is a job? Like, the word job didn't even exist a hundred odd years ago, you know? That's a tr- that's a fact. And, uh, like, just find it so interesting how we spend our lives, just so much of our lives we don't even realise is just autonomous. And we just don't give it a second thought. And we live in these loops. I'm getting very into um, no, no, West yeah. Westworld recently, and I think it's probably the um, the cause for this kind of topic change. But um, I, yeah, I feel like a lot of people don't necessarily realize the impact that our education system has on everyone. And I think there's a lot to do, a lot for, a lot we could do to to change that. Change again. Me trying to segue. <laughs> change. Is there anything? Because this podcast is going to get some value, you know. 
when we meet again in the year 2027. I can't wait. Um, is there anything you'd like to say to your future self? It, like, I, I know it's hard. Like, do you, would you imagine? I know this is super. It's like in what sense? Like, just like anything I'd like to. Yeah. Remember this. Remember that. Don't do this. Don't do. I, I, it doesn't have to be too, you know. Okay. Um, didactic, but I suppose the most beneficial thing, because I, I'm, I'm thinking about this now, like hmm. as if I was listening back, right? Okay. As if I am. 33. Yeah. And I am listening back to my 23-year-old self. Because obviously I'd be 33, you know? I, would have, I, I'd, I wouldn't even remember what it was like to be 23. Because, I mean, do I remember what it's like to be 13? Kind of. But, like, not exactly. Oh, yeah, not really. I mean, like, all the intricacies of it and everything. I was a bit um, fat, but that's right. <laughs> <laughs> a bit more fatter. <laughs> yeah, same, probably. But I suppose what I imagine would be most beneficial to my future self would be just to remind myself of what I'm thinking or what I'm like. So it's it's less of, I suppose, don't do this or, you know, remember this. So it's more just, I kind of, I suppose, talk about some stuff that will just give me um, some impetus to remember where I was and where I was going. And then, you know, I think my 33-year-old self will be able to kind of ascertain whether I've, um, whether I'm on the right track or not. Um, I, think, I, think I've, I think I've actually got it. What would you say right now to your thirty, or to your thirty-three-year-old self, and to my thirty-two-year-old self? Why pretend? You, you were saying at the front, <laughs> we're, as you'll see when you look at this podcast, there'll be a picture of Sam and you know shirtless to prove that we were shirtless and hot and sweaty, <laughs> but we didn't touch each other. <laughs> that is a, that's a weird, only a little bit. Only a little bit. Um, you, you, walking down the stairs and you're saying... Well, you asked me when we were walking down the stairs. No, so I, yeah. I, I asked you, you know, why don't you... Do you want to put on a shirt? And then you go, why pretend? I was like this when you opened the door. Why pretend? The front door, I mean. And I think that's the thing. Like, maybe that should be like a... Like, well, I think this is going to be the name of the episode. Why pretend? Yeah, I I didn't see the point. I mean, I don't want to put on a shirt. It's very hot. Um, it's just the, the truth. why does the photo... Yeah, the truth. And that's that's pretty much that's what today is. Shirtless Sam drinking some water. It's the next to Ryan who's also shirtless, and that's the that's the reality of the situation. So why why pretend? And I like I feel like that's like the goal with old. If there is such a thing as good art, like I was thinking about asking, like, do you have a definition for art? Uh, before we get onto that, oh, I, that, I will I will I will go back to the the, yeah. the future me thing because I feel like I didn't really answer it. Yeah. Um, because it's a difficult question. I suppose I would say to him, 10 years is a long time, and it, you're interested in a lot of things. Writing, directing, music, comedy, uh, stand-up, a lot of areas of making. And I guess I would say, if I kind of try to predict, you know, what where I'm going to be in that time, I feel like it's quite a, there's quite a lot of potential for me to be doing quite well in one area, but also to potentially have, not forgotten, but at least, you know, veered off a bit from other avenues i suppose like what i'd say to him is just like sick if you've got some you know um success in one area then that's awesome i mean you obviously you know worked for it and deserved it so good shit keep going but at the same time don't forget about your other things that you used to think about when you were 23 think but don't forget about how recently you've got into philosophy so much how you've got into spirituality so much how you've got into politics so much yeah. even in the last six months i mean i like to think when i'm 33 i still would be pursuing those kind of things in um addition to all of the artistic endeavors that i kind of find for myself um, running for public office 
Yeah. Well, I mean, who knows? I feel like how I know I can really make a difference, or at least how I think I can make a difference, is going back to this idea of storytelling. And I really do think it is a way that we as in humans learn. Mm. Because I mean, there's a wonderful TED talk. I wish I I watched this like two or three years ago. Now I really actually want to rewatch it. There's this lady that gives this TED talk about storytelling. I feel like if you just type storytelling in TED talk, it might come up. But it's not Andrea Gibbs. No. Although she, not did, a, she not does, she does, she does. But I do love, talk, I do yeah. love her work. She's she's fucking great. Eight, heart, eight gigabytes of hardcore pornography. That was a. You remember, <laughs> did you go to see that with me? No, that was a real good one. Um, great writing. But I remember this. Her talk, she was basically saying what I was saying before that just like how so essential storytelling is to, I think, the human cognition, and I think it allows us to empathize in a way that statistics doesn't allow us to. It allows us to kind of think about other people's perspectives and take us into an environmental situation that we wouldn't have allowed ourselves to in any, in any other context. And I really do think it's just the most potent form of education. and. Uh, yeah. I feel like hopefully once I've established a little bit of a following or, you know, I have some similar people around me that kind of, you know, envision the same kind of world that I do, then I can start branching out into, you know, other areas and hopefully have some influence there as well and just try and pursue the kind of world that I feel like we deserve as people and I feel like only the small majority get to, ex- get to experience. I notice with a lot of your work, and when I mean work, I, the reason why I'm mostly saying your musical work is because there is that public record of it. SoundCloud, mm-hmm. Facebook. Like Boy, Boyke on Facebook. <laughs> no, <I'm not laughs> Thanks, doing, mate. Um, like him. Um, no, but there's this public, there's this wonderful catalogue of your early music work, like mm-hmm. from a couple of years, a few years ago to sort of now. Mm. Yeah. Someone at the door. Someone at the door. Be right back. No, keep, keep playing. It's all right. Be right back. All right. <laughs> but like I was saying, there's this wonderful like, public record of his works. Well, ASOS has arrived. A, a, a mysterious package has arrived, and uh, Sam is disposing it. Um, but no, that knocking. Yeah, there's this wonderful catalogue, and I noticed that a lot of your work is autobiographical in some sense. Mm-hmm. And I know, yeah, and I've said this to you before, a lot of your work, and also your, like, your, your theatre, your writing, is very autobiographical. I see that you're live, and quite rightly so, living your truth is our <laughs> favourite mantra of our year of BPAs. Live, live your truth. Yes, yes. Do you still use that as... Because I find that that's like your major source of inspiration. I think that's quite right. Yourself, your family, your culture, your history. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When you're stuck... With an idea, you're writing this lyric or something. Whenever you're, you're creatively, artistically, you know, hitting that wall, you hit the brick wall. Can does that does does those memories of family culture help you get out of that? You know, walk away. Um, you know, walk around the brick wall. Or is it like some other way to troubleshoot? You know, your creative blocks. How do you well, do them? Um, there's two parts to that. I feel like, as well as I think, is beneficial to like kind of pursue. The technical side to whatever your craft is you know get really good at it you know make sure that you know you've got the skills and that you know how the rule book works so that you can fuck with it mm. but the same degree inspiration is a thing that you know every culture talks about you know whether it's talking to god or nirvana or um whatever you want to call it i think that that's very important as well and that are not a lot of not a lot of people not enough people talk about that what it means you know when you're i mean you, you know what it feels like when you yeah. when you're when you're writing and yeah. it just flows you know that's another thing that people say it just and you flows, should keep you know? on writing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's not, it's, but it's not just 
that, I mean, how do you actually get into that state of being? Yeah. How do you actually get into a state of inspiration? And people, and that's what I think people should do as well. They should practice getting into that mindset so that it doesn't become this. Because if you can practice that, then writer's block doesn't become even a thing. You know, it's not a, it's not even a tangible. Like sometimes, obviously, that you get more of a rush than other times. But if you kind of learn how you, what your process is and how your mind works, then you can hopefully establish a bit of a routine or at least some kind of way of kicking into that. And in terms of the autobiographical stuff, I mean, I, I think a large, a large part of it is um, definitely, you know, that I've kind of gathered from my own experiences and my own thoughts. I, I, I'm a firm believer in, I think, you know, you should, you should only write about what, I think you should only write about something that, see, this, I don't want to speak myself into a box here, but yeah. um, at least when I was starting out writing, I, yeah. I didn't think that you could write about anything except what you knew, you know? And I think as I've gotten more into it, I've realized, no, you can, you know, you can, you can branch out and you can kind of like abstractly talk about things that, you know, you've witnessed or, you know, your friends have gone through and you can kind of like paint a parallel between you and that and yourself. Um, and I think that's definitely, you know, important because that's practicing, you know, in a way kind of empathy. You're, tr you're trying to put yourself in someone else's shoes, you know, and that's what acting is, you know, really. I mean, like you're, you're trying to get yourself in there and it, that isn't necessarily autobiographical, but I mean, you can draw on parts of yourself to try and help make that more realistic and more, um, more of an experience. But I think it was Simon Sinek. What did he say? I'm fairly sure the guy, the same guy yeah, with yeah. the book I was talking about. Um, I feel like I'm paraphrasing here, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. Only write about things that one you are passionate about yeah. and one that you know about, that you're knowledgeable and passionate about. Yeah. If you're not either of those things, don't write about it. That's so true. And I think that makes sense, like, you only pursue art if you're passionate about it. Well, I think the first thing is passion, because we all know that the arts, it is a because it's subjective. Your audience, the money you make is subjective because you're, you're, you're making your money through other people, your audience, paying the punters. Mm -hmm. So naturally, you, you have to be some, you know, a mad bastard, in, in some respect, you know, not lose all your, you know, cognitivity. That's all, yeah, cog cognitive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah, passion. I think passion and knowledge. That's a really good quote. Passion and knowledge. And actually, I was looking at the clock, and the time is a tick, I think. And and I, I feel like I feel like there's so much more to talk about. But I think this this I'll, I'll leave it for the year twenty. Oh man, we can keep going. You know, do you have any? Do you have any other like what's on the page? I mean. I mean, you can, okay. you, can, you can always edit it, right? I mean, like, I, it, actually, I feel like it's yeah, better yeah. to have more information than less. Oh, know? but uh, see, I feel like I just want to put the whole entire slab. Because <laughs> I think this is a work and... Oh, don't look at it. Fuck, fuck the clock. We're fine. Yeah, good. Fuck, fuck the, the clock. clock. Yeah, nice. Fuck that. It's only been an hour. <laughs> <laughs> so it's um, the battery's starting to die out on the microphone. It's about four hours and the tape's run over. We're now using our mic. Um... I wanted to ask you, when was the last performance that you've seen? Live performance. What, what was... Now, this is an interesting test. Like, live, it can be a gig or a theatre show. Um, gig was... Uh, uh, my own gig doesn't count, I'm guessing. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, I suppose the most recent one before that would have been... Uh, I went to go see Kishibashi at the... Um, yeah, it's a, he's a guy, a uh, musician from... Um, oh, I should know this. I'm not going to say anything because I don't know what he, where he's from. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he is he's very good. I liked him. He was uh, he was playing at Fringe, um, Chevron Gardens. Uh, ah, yes. My, um, I think it's PF, isn't it? 
Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. Pit. Actually, I'm still wearing the bloody thing. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, International it was, Arts Festival. It was. It was really. It was really good. Um, I had my friend Shane took me. Um, he had a he had a, um, a spare ticket and he offered it to me. And it was this guy had a really really um, really decent falsetto. Like really like he had a, a massive control over his voice, uh, which which struck me, which is pretty cool. And he also played the violin. And it was very interesting the musicality that came out of it. Like he was plucking it and like you know playing it like a guitar and also like you know what using the bow and everything. It was really cool. Was it? What was his genre? <laughs> Sorry, um, I use that word. That's genre okay. I suppose like I want to say uplifting folk. Uplifting folk. Mm, yeah. Uplifting folk. That's interesting because you're interesting. Like boy key. Like you once described again. The memory is really bad. It's a hot. It's really hot. <laughs> And our brains are slowly melting away. <laughs> yeah, slowly. But what is Boyke's genre? It's it's not country. It's folk. I know the word folks in there somewhere. Yeah, I mean this is really up for discussion, to be honest. Aren't yeah. Um, but I feel like you. I feel. I feel like the more words you add in, the less meaningful they become. So I really don't know, to be honest with you. That's what it comes down to. I mean, there's some folk in there. There's some rock in there. There's some grunge in there there's some even some blues in there really yeah. I mean there's a bit of an Americana indie alternative even a not too much but a little bit of suck I feel like but that mm. comes into the grunge kind of aspect but you know what mm. weirdly enough I've come back to a um, little thought that I had uh, yeah. not sure if this is yeah I'm gonna say it why not um, I, I had this I had this I had this okay. um, I, <laughs> I had this thinking like a while ago and I had this uh, I just thought of this term surf suck Surf psych. Yeah, I'm not sure where it came from, but for some reason that was it came to me one day, and I was just like, I like that. I'm not sure. I'm not even sure if it's accurate to be honest. But <laughs> surf psych. Surf. It does exactly. I, I don't know what it is, but I, that's something that I because I feel like there's a lot of different. I feel like it less less. It's difficult to really just categorize boyki in terms of a um a genre, and I think it's easier to categorize each of our songs. In mm. different genres because I feel like it really does change depending on which tune you're listening to I mean there are some tunes that are very much pop you know very yes. poppy um, which is a big part of you know our sound um, I think and there's also songs that are definitely more rock and just kind of have that folk aspect to them as well and then there are ones that are grungy and I'm screaming you know <laughs> well not screaming but at least but see, you that's know, the thing there's, a, there's an interesting thing like listeners like after you listen to this podcast or fast forward or whatever and I'm sorry to keep banging on about this and Sam, no, he's not paying me any money this is just totally free no one's making any money but there's an interesting trick well, it's not a trick it's just, I wanted to say a magic trick but Sam, he has a very distinct speaking voice Mm. but he also has a very distinct and you get this not a lot singing voice it's very interesting like because Sam has his deep or not deep but you know, somewhat bass um, you know is that you trying to... Tom, bro. I can't <laughs> do you, man. I can't do you. Um, no. Um, don't do that, Ryan. But there's this interesting thing, and I know, like, like that whole science of, like, I know there is some literature, there is some writings about how, you know, people like Australian artists, singers, they don't sing with an Australian accent. Only somebody like, you know, Slim Dusty. Won't sing Matilda. Won't sing Matilda. You know that Australian. Won't sing Matilda with me, Slim Dusty. <laughs> I love Slim Dusty, the old pub. And then he's got the some, old Dusty Trail. Yeah. 
Pub with no beer, I think his second favourite big hit. <laughs> For those who love Slim Dusty. But Sam's oh sorry, to get back on track, and then like you've got like Australians or like Adele. Mm. Her voice changes the the accent, yeah. the British. You lose the British yeah. accent. Same with um a lot of Irish um uh, singers. You know they, they become, lose their accent. I want to say American, but you know that. Amazing great. Oh, no. <laughs> I can't sing. Yes, I can. Yeah, you can. <laughs> One day. Um. Yeah. No, I feel. I don't know how it works. You know what I mean? Like I feel. I, in the, it takes a while, I think, for you to really find your voice. And I think, at least for me, I know I started off a lot with um kind of trying to mimic people or at least trying to like not mimic necessarily or just kind of like emulate certain parts that I thought were cool that I thought that I could do similarly hmm. and when you got nothing when you got no idea what you're doing I mean you cling on to that you know what I mean you like you try and, and then eventually I feel like you try and distance yourself from it and find an in-between or at least find some kind of halfway point where your voice meets theirs or your voice meets the cumulative inspiration that you've kind of listened to through all of the music which is a bit of a fuck thing to think about you know because that's a lot of that's a lot of voices but yeah yeah i feel like it really and i feel like it's on it's an ongoing thing um you know uh i definitely think that i've come a long way in the, the See, five years that i've been doing um because I, I started in the very beginning i started playing and then probably six months later i started trying to sing and then six months later i probably started trying to write so it was a very organic kind of process that I didn't really, you know, see coming at all. Um, but I do think that it's an ongoing thing, and I feel like um, I still don't know my voice nearly as well as I could, and I'm still trying to get there. I still catch myself doing certain little uh, things. Yeah, the face, you know, like your little, face becomes really active, but it's interesting. Yeah, like uh, and no, you're right. I feel like my one of my most common bloody notes post gig is you make some weird fucking faces, Sam, <laughs> and. Uh, yeah, since I've never really had like singing lessons per se, I suppose it's almost like a subconscious kind of thing. You know, you try and um, get to a certain note, and I don't know how to do that with my entire body, so I do it with um, my lips, and I do it with a little like little. Um, Your lips. But but yeah, like a little like just a little. Th- it's not necessarily no. something that I have you know written down or like know exactly what I'm doing. But you know, when I look at um, photos or when I look when I think about what I'm doing in the moment, you know. Very rarely, um, you know. You just—that's the whole. That's speaking as well. I mean, we just move. We move around our little meat sacks and our, yeah. and our head to you know make different noises and make different um, pitches and timbre and um, singing exactly exactly the same. And I suppose I think you just get better at learning your capabilities and also extending your capabilities. I mean, for instance, leaving with Sean was really good for me. I think because Sean is Sean um, Crofton <laughs> is um, one of uh, our fellow alumni. Um, yep, fellow from, graduates from the BPA course. Also a very dear friend to Ryan and I, and he was also my housemate for um, largely all of uh, 2016 and a bit of 2015. He is not necessarily a musician of any any kind, but he boy he loves to sing. He and does, he, and he's very good at it. He has a very good he's... voice, and I think he only in the last couple of years has really. I don't want to say pursued it, but I feel like... Uh, you should. Well, yeah, but I feel like at least use it to more of... Started bringing it out more, for more people to see. And I'm really glad that he has, because he has a naturally very high voice, which is something strange, because looking at the dude, I mean, you wouldn't exactly expect it. I mean, he's a... That's s- the same six, thing as six, you. Six foot, like, three dude, works at Bunnings, like, you know, men, bloke, definitely a bloke's bloke. 
you know, yeah. I think in, in a lot of in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, it feels good. Yeah, it's fucking, yeah, it's fucking the boys. Um, yeah. But at the same time, you hear him singing, and it's just like, it's almost like a, I don't know, like a, a pop star from the from yeah, the 80s, you know it's what I mean? It's very, it's very strange. It's Disney. Disney. Disney voice, you know, Aladdin. It's kind of Disney. Yeah, I'll take that, sure. Um, but in, in any sense, I feel, I'm really grateful for actually um, spending so much time with him um, because he just belts it out no matter where he is. I mean, he just doesn't give a fuck, which is great. I, I love think that about that's him. all arts. Yeah, and, I, and, I, and I, I love that he does that. And because he did that, and he is naturally a very higher voice than me. Like, he is, like, he can go into falsetto like nobody's business, which is really admirable. It's like, it's not easy. Yeah. And it forced me to try and keep up with him. And to try and, <laughs> and to try and, like, push myself to try and get myself up there. Yeah. And after, like, a year of really doing it, I've noticed a, a, a really substantial change in my abilities to kind of go into that area of my voice. Because it's something that, you know, if you don't necessarily have from the get-go, but having said that, I mean, you know, I didn't have a lot of stuff that I'd... Uh, it's a slow thing that, you know, it's ever, it's ever changing. It's constantly getting that. But, um, and you unearthing more parts of, you know, your vocal range. But, you know, now it's something that I have more confidence in. And it's something that I'm actually, you know, I'm bringing into my writing. And I'm trying to, like, do more. And I'm trying to, like, showcase more of um, what I think my voice has. And it's something that I didn't really know that I could do until I kept on fucking trying. And I kept on doing it. Certain songs very much help. And, like, it, I just found myself, you know, in the car when we're driving. Or, like, just little things. And like, just constantly pushing yourself. And when your voice, when you're putting, like, not necessarily strain. But when you're, yeah. you know, um, when you are trying so much to try and get to a certain point or a certain place eventually I think you get there you know it's, if you it's really it's practice, just, just practice. practice just like if you, and I've done I think enough now that it's a, it's a simple this is literally all I did for a year it's literally us listening to music listening to songs whether it be outside our house or whether it be in the car and it, when we're singing along to certain tunes and there are bits that go up to that register I'll just try and do it mm. every time I'll just try and even bits that aren't necessarily in falsetto I'll just try and like sing in a different key or like do and it, just for fun, you know, just literally, that's all it was, just for fun. And now I find that it actually has made a difference. And I actually do have a more, a stronger voice and a, like a more varied voice because of it. And why not, it's such a simple concept, but why not take that into everything we do? Yeah. Just fucking do it. And you will eventually get better at it. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. I think, yeah, it is practice. And I think that's one of the beautiful things of art like I think because I was going to ask you like what, what is it I, I think it's 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 impossible to define art because it is it's subjective as we're saying sorry a couple of hours before um, <laughs> but it's organic it's random you can't pin it down and you shouldn't pin it down you know it's, it's free flying I think like some really great stuff great work happens on the fly like for example bloody um, Samuel Beckett's Waiting for Godot um, that famous story, like apparently he wrote it while he was that at least once in this. <laughs> he 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 wrote it on holiday. He wrote it to get away from work. Are you serious? That's hilarious. As, as a fucking, I'm like you think. <laughs> one of the greatest masterpieces of theatrical <laughs> literature. He just wrote it. I just want to be all, you know, go on a holiday. You know, that sort of thing. It's, it's just he wrote waiting for God. Yeah, on holiday. That's so funny. <laughs> That's like that's it though. Like think about that. Like just for a second, what that actually means. I mean, he was probably in a very different mind space when hmm. he was writing that, and maybe it showed. Maybe that's yeah. why it's so great because he was writing it just like he was. It was less about getting the thing done. <laughs> Sorry. Drop the boom mic. It's less about 
you know, getting this thing done because I have a deadline and because it's something that I have to... Oh, Jesus, this is going to break. Um, the ch hang on, let me... Oh, no, the... Ch oh, bugger. Ah, oh, nice. Yeah, oh, wow. I did... I fixed it entirely. Very good. But I feel like I would have been less about, you know, getting something done because you have a deadline and you have to make something and rather just, like, doing it because you want to do it. Doing it because it's something like, oh... I want to immerse myself in something. I want to like, get away. I want to... It's really interesting. I really like that. I think that is... It doesn't surprise me. Mm. I mean, it does surprise me, but now thinking about it, it doesn't surprise me because, I mean, when you're in that mode of just absolute carefree, do whatever the fuck you want kind of spirit, I feel like your body and mind would be so open. And that's what I... And that's what I um, feel like, again, the just to, you know paint back to what we were talking about earlier, I think is probably the main problem to what the generation before us has kind of gotten very shit at is being open-minded to new things mm. and not being so set in your ways. And I think that um, there needs to be more of a discussion, I think, on what is necessarily right in a changing world, in a changing perspective, in a changing environment. And I think you, you just can't... People like to have a little book or a little piece of paper or a little mm. something where everything is categorized and everything is everyone knows that, that that's the way it is that's the way it is but i mean you have to ask yourself can you come up with something like that that is always going to be relevant we're not talking about in the 25 year scale we're talking about in the 100 year scale declaration of independence is the biggest thing that oh, i yeah. think of indigenous people were classified as flora and yes. fauna until 1967 or 9 or yes. whatever it was you know like that 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 was that was written down you know, in the bloody constitution, in 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 the Declaration of Independence, slavery. There were laws to keep slavery as a thing, and it wasn't until the amendments happened that the you know the thirteenth, fourteenth, fifteenth amendment, the proclamation, uh, emancipation, emancipation proclamation. You know that um, actually started changing shit for the better, and it took a lot of time. And the, and the, this is the most fucked up thing as well is that the that uh, the abolition didn't happen. I mean, there were people you know, kind of pursuing the abolition of slavery for decades. I mean, but the way it actually finally did get abolished is not because people were like, this is morally wrong. Mm. That's not how it happened, which is something really took me a long while to actually really grab my head around. I've recently watched the, this um, web series on the History Channel called Roots, which I really recommend watching. Yes. Yeah, it's yeah. amazing. It's a four-part series that are basically, every part's a movie, and it um, follows the journey of one in particular um, African man who gets... Um, taken away from um, Africa and gets in, um, sold into slavery yeah. in the um, seventh in the late seventeen hundreds, I think. And yes. eventually, it follows through multiple generations of his family getting split up that go through this kind of era from the beginning of slavery to then eventually the um, civil war uh, in America. And it, it's yeah. a, I really do recommend it. It's wonderful. And it, after I watched that, I got so interested in that kind of civil war period during uh, America, and I kind of learned a lot about Abraham Lincoln that I didn't know. Mm. and some stuff that I learned that was just crazy is that he he was the guy that really was the at the forefront of all this stuff when it was happening when he got into power and he was actually a Republican yes yeah which is um, very interesting and very interesting and uh, also something that was interesting is the Republic Party was actually formed by a lot of anti-slavery people yeah which is very interesting to think about in, these, in the context of these days like the, the parties were not always what they were what they are now it's see, yeah, um, can I, and to bring back yeah. local politics, like, see, like the Liberal Party in Western Australia, 
That was started by um, Sir Robert Menzies. Sir Robert, <laughs> yeah, Sir Robert Menzies, and that was like a party. Yeah, that was really capitalized on you know the sort of the growing middle class science. Mm-hmm. Very big on science, a little bit on art, but it was it was, it was interesting. How they change and, and look how they've changed yeah. now. Mm-hmm. And you've got even the breakout with the Tony Abbotts, and even you know the Malcolm Turnbulls and the blood and the Erica Betts. And the but what things. I found that was really interesting about a man was that like the way that he championed the abolition of slavery. He is that he was against it from the very beginning. But what I found super interesting was that he was clever enough to understand. That in that time period, people were not going to get around the abolition of slavery just for abolition's sake. There weren't enough people back then to say, what we are doing is morally wrong, so we're going to change it. Which is kind of crazy. So he thought about it in a more pragmatic approach, right? Which was, when he got into power, obviously it was, you know, it was known that he wasn't exactly big on slavery. But back then, you know, the cotton industry was just booming. And it was basically the whole reason why America, especially the South, had become so profitable and had become so booming is because they had so many slaves. That's something that people don't really take into consideration is that the whole reason why America is such a booming economy is because of slavery. Oh, yeah, it was all empires, like even like it's, the United it, Kingdom now. It's, it's built on the slave. I, obviously, like every, you know, culture has had, had a, or at least most have had a stint with slavery in the past, but mm. that's something I think a lot of people forget is that uh, slavery was a very big part of their economy in the early, early days. Obviously, a lot of um, states who knew his feelings about slavery were very apprehensive about this and they basically formed the confederacy that moved away from the union and they that's what started the civil war and he knew that they needed an advantage they needed something after it had been like a couple of years to help get them on the front foot of this war because he knew that was what was most important is the preservation of the union Mm. the united states of america that is the we, they, the last thing they want is for them to, you know, separate from these countries and make a new country. That's the last thing they want. They want us to preserve the union. So winning the war was essential. So he thought if he could convince his fellow, you know, members of parliament to see this as a strategic war move, mm. as rather a human rights <laughs> yeah. decision, then he actually got what he wanted in the end. But he did it in a way that actually got it done. It's all about the hip pocket. Like that's and and he was very clever in the way he did it because he realized that if he could declare that all slaves in northern territories, specific northern territories, were free, right, then this would disrupt a lot of the southern war effort because I mean they had slaves doing so much for them, you know, cooking, cleaning, not fighting, but um, doing a lot of other stuff to kind of contribute to it. And if those people were no longer really because, I mean, word travels like wild. It was crazy how it kind of traveled back then, considering there was no communication or technology. But when word got out about the Emancipation Proclamation, people knew in weeks, you know, across the country, because people just chat and talk. And it, when there's disruption, people will be like, oh, shit, if we run away, then if we get to this place, then we're free. You know, it's no longer um, a hopeless journey. It's something that's like a light at the end of the tunnel. Eventually, when he did this, he then realized that he not only could disrupt the war effort down south, but he could add those men to their force. Mm. So they gained like 400,000 uh, like soldiers that were fighting for their freedom. And that was a large part, I think, in their victory. And I think not a lot of people really appreciate the strategic humanitarian that Abraham Lincoln really was. And you need someone with a vision that people are going to follow. And that's a lot of the reason why I think that 
Um, Steve Jobs gets a lot of flack as well because people are like, ah, oh, he didn't fucking do anything. He's not a fucking computer technician. He doesn't know what the fuck. He didn't program, you know. But I mean, that's not what leaders are. I'm I'm a very stronger and believer, and you know, you know, lead by doing and lead by you know, um, lead from the front and that kind of thing. Uh, or not even necessarily. I think there's a lot to be said from leading from the back. But something that Simon Sinek really draws on a lot in his books is that leadership isn't a rank or a position. Mm. It's a choice that you make every single day. And it, what leadership is is providing a vision for people to follow. It's providing an environment for people to work in that is conducive to whatever you're trying to do. And that's what he did. He created a company and an environment where people could be themselves and contribute in a way that no other company was really doing. They didn't they didn't think about the competition, they thought about their vision. See. And vision. that's what Steve Jobs did. If it wasn't for him, Apple would have never happen. Vision, drive. It's the same as Elon Musk. Mm. You know? He's the guy that's constantly championed this idea of us becoming an interplanetary species. And it's his vision and it's him backing himself financially and like ideologically and everything that people stick to him and people gun with him and people are drawn to him. Simon Sinek does this wonderful chat about how the same thing with Martin Luther King, you know, how leaders speak. They talk about what they believe, not what should be done, not what people should do. What do they believe? He gave the I believe speech, not the I have a plan speech. Yes, yeah. People don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. I really recommend watching Simon Sinek on the internet. Yeah, people, I did. Um, I, I want to say... He's a very intelligent man. He was on The Weekly with Charles... Charlie Pickering, Pickering? I think. yeah, Pickering, yeah, this oh, week, really? yeah, sure. it's a really good episode. Cool, ABC Review. I just wanted to say this because we are drawing a close now because I mm. think we've we've had this wonderful moment, and I just want to quick, just very quickly, mm. see when you're young. I feel like as we get older, and this is what I personally, as me and artist, I, I want to meet people and I want to make work with other people. And I know you've been working on for a year or more than a year. Your your album, yeah. Oh, AP. Yeah. AP. See, yeah. I'm not. I'm not with the the music. That's why I have you here today. Because okay. I'm not with yeah. it. I'm yeah. not clicked. <laughs> How do you feel working with like? Do you love working with other people? To an extent, I'd imagine. Yeah. Because I know it's the only way you learn. I want to play with as many people as possible. I want to work with as many people as possible. I mean, because the more people you work with, I think you the more you learn, and you learn something different from everyone. Life's a journey. Life is a life's journey. an education. And now you just got to be open to it. Let us take a journey. The year is now 20, 2027. Yes. We're signing off, by the way, now. <laughs> um, the time is 2 o'clock at night. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, we're, we're, in, we're in the middle of the day. Um, but to sign off, we've been developing this question for quite some time now. I'm very curious what the sat and answer is. Um, so the year is 2027. Mm. 10 years. Mm. You're 33. Mm. I'm 32. Mm. We're doing the podcast again. Yeah. <laughs> What would you like to see yourself plug? I, you know, an, an album, a book, a film I'm doing, a play that I'm directing mm-hmm. at the Sydney Opera House. Mm-hmm. What would you like to see your artistic self, yourself, in 10 years' time? You know, be advertising, promoting. So I'm plugging a hypothetical event. A hypothetical right? thing, okay. a book, my autobiography. Well, <laughs> um, I think you've already, you'll do that in five years, the, the autobiography, <laughs> knowing you. Um, I'm 28, my autobiography. <laughs> Reminds me of a question I was actually talking about with a friend of mine last night when he was saying to me, um, and feel free to use this in your future talks. Yeah. Um, he was saying... <laughs> <laughs> yes! Amazing. Now, the gesture um, what I just did was <laughs> I grabbed a bit of imaginary and I kissed and put it in my pocket. 
Now, that gesture Paul. is Paul Sewan Norton <laughs> from Strut Dance. Bless that man. A wonderful teacher, director. Yeah, improv. Um, he took us on a lot of improv. A lot of improv. Yeah. And this gesture of kissing and putting your pocket... If you see something good, take it. Yeah. Put it in your pocket, keep it. If you Keep it for yourself, keep it for the future. Um, you never know what you can use it for. No. Um, but yes... Uh, I lost what I was saying now. Um, it Your was... friend you're talking about. This My was friend, like... yes, thank you. you. Thank you. Um, so last night he was telling me that a good question kind of to, um, to potentially ask people for their future endeavours is mm. if you were in an elevator and someone turns to you, you're in this elevator by yourself with this you know, kind of elderly man who's wearing a suit or something and he's just yeah. like, he turns to you and he's just like, so I have all the money in the world. I'm very bored. You seem like a kind soul. Yeah. Uh, do you have any projects at the moment that you would like me to invest in? And the reason I like that question is because it's kind of a very practical way of saying if money was no object, what would you like to do? Yeah. You know? It's a saying, do you have... And it's also you taking onus on something. It's what do you believe in? What do you... Um, what idea do you believe in? What project do you believe in? What story do you believe in? It's kind of similar to what you just said, which I like. Um, except it's asking you like a, like a tangible thing like that you've done, that you've made. Put it this way. I'd like to hopefully tell you that uh, we've got a record coming out soon. Mm-hmm. Really excited about it. Took a long time. Took a fucking long time to, but it, we got there, and I'm really happy with it, and I'm really proud of it. Yep. Um, also, we've got a film coming out, and uh, this is something that I was acting in. Um, oh yeah. Uh, that's going to hopefully be out uh, in like August, hopefully. Okay. Um, August 2027. Yep, yep. August 2027. And uh, then um, soon after that, I actually have uh, the book that's coming out, which is going to be really oh, good. Yes. Uh, thought it'd be an autobiography, but you know, um, not enough. Not enough stuff. Uh, not enough stuff. Not enough stuff just yet. That'll, <laughs> that'll be the name of it. The not book. But not enough stuff yet. <laughs> um, and uh, then once that all wraps up, um, I'm going on tour, which will be really fun. Tour? Yeah. Uh, First Europe and then America. Right. And then uh, maybe even Canada, hopefully. But yeah, then we'll be back, hopefully, for the Australia leg. The home At this point, um, yeah, pretty much, yeah. The va- at that point, I'm not sure. Um, it'd be really good to get back to Australia, I think, by that point. So that'll be really good. And then, uh, you know, at the moment, I've just started really preparing for my first uh, feature that I'm directing. So that'll be really fun. And uh, I'm working at the moment on a um, HBO special for a stand-up comedy um, event as well. So that'll be... Lots of fun. So lots of the horizon. So, so you're very busy, very busy. So very, 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 so if very busy. I might not be able to capture in 2037. <laughs> um, <laughs> That'll be many years. But yeah, hopefully, I think uh, I'll. I want to. I really won't really know what to do with myself because I'll have uh, a lot on my plate. Hopefully, then at least that's what I hope. You know, I mean, I hope by I that point too. that I'm because at the moment I, I feel like at the moment I'm very much uh, doing more writing than anything else. Or I feel like at the moment the last six months I've just been a sponge. Yeah. Like, I've just been... Because we just graduated and we have a lot of time on my hands now, I've kind of just been... You know, I, I figured I'd be partying and just, like, doing going off the rails and, like, doing all this stuff. And not to say that I have been doing that stuff. I mean, you know, I've been um, getting very close to a certain group, um, group of people and definitely partying in that sense. But also beyond that, I think I've been just learning a lot about a lot of different things that I never expected myself to be so interested in. Like I mentioned on it earlier, like, just touched on it... Um, with the political kind of stuff and the philosophy and the spirituality kind of side to things that I've been learning about. And I've just been watching, I've been watching a lot of, I've been getting really interested in a lot of certain people and a lot of certain concepts and a lot of certain um, things for the future and a lot of hypotheticals, I suppose. 
I don't know. I suppose in the future, I just hope I didn't lose that. I hope I'm still, I'm still, I'm still sponging it all in. Um, and I hope that uh, this isn't just a, a phase in my early twenties that I just get super interested in about a fuckload of things, and I just, you know, drain the swamp later on in my life. But um, yeah, I suppose for the future, I hope that I'm still, I suppose, not boxing myself in and being open to new areas of interest that mm. I hadn't really would have considered when I was younger. Being a sponge and being open, I think those are the keys to pursue as we both enter now our 20s and 30s. And that was the Perthian Chronicles. Thanks for having me, man. I'm, I'm your chronicler, Ryan Marana, and today's author, Sam Stockforth. Thanks for listening, guys. Appreciate it. Bye.